Hey, hey, this is episode 44, Diagnoses and Labels. Hey, everybody. I want to give you a quick update about what is going on with me and with my kiddos. So I have started officially the program that I was telling you about. It's called the Reach Family Program, and it's a holistic, systems-based program is an online at home program that's like a mixture of therapy, like physical therapy, intellectual therapy, and a a nutritional therapy. And it centers around teaching the parents how to offer those things at home for their children. And something that really I really love about this program is that it is empowering to parents that it centers around the idea that parents are their children's most influential teachers, not always the best, but definitely the most influential. And so it feels a bit like we're we're getting training. We did a workshop on how to unleash our children's potential for growth and learning and development and learned about the human brain and how it works and then what we can do at home to help foster that growth in our children. And so we are very excited. We took extensive videos and did histories and got that all in and have used the expertise of these wonderful people um, that put on this program And they are teaching us and coaching us through the whole process. And so we're going to be getting all of that started up and running and are just really excited about it. And it is a huge time commitment. um, That's for sure. And so um, as things develop and grow, I will definitely be filling you in on that. Yeah. So we're, we're excited for that. We're getting that all started. We're getting that all going. And uh, we're really hoping that we'll see some changes in a positive way for our kids. So, all right. Oh, we actually did get the results from um, my daughter's genetic test. We, we were doing another, we did a genetic test five years ago and the field has progressed a lot since then. So we just did another one, got our results back and they did actually find something this time. And I want to share it with you because I'm curious to know if any of you listening have a child with this or know someone that does. Now, it's very rare and it's newly found. So I don't know how many of you would actually have this. But, um, and I don't even know if I can say it, right? It's called Bryant Lee Boge, B-H-O-J. So it's Bryant-Lee, L-I- and B-H-O-J, Neurodevelopmental Syndrome. Which is very rare and newly um, newly found, and this disorder tends to be on a bit of a spectrum. So you can have it severely or not at all. It, it, it can only it it can affect a portion of your cells or a, a lot, like a small portion or a large portion. And the severity of your symptoms depend on how many cells are affected. And this happens to be a developmental how do I say it? A, a genetic mutation disorder. So it's not something that was inherited. It was something that was developed. 
and the research that I've done on it so far is there's there's not very much out there that I'm finding. And so we will um, be talking to her geneticist soon to see what's kind of going on with that. And hopefully we will find, you know, I, I really don't know, something. So I guess she technically has official uh, an official diagnosis, an official syndrome, and... Um, yeah, we're just going to use that information to see where we can go. I guess in that way, this label is a good thing because now I kind of know what to look for that's attached to her syndrome, right? There are benefits to having a label, and this is one of them. Today, let's talk about labels and diagnoses. Now, when I talk about labels and diagnoses, diagnoses whether it's officially given or not, they have an impact on us and our kids. Some are in our favor, right? And some are not like, oh, wow, you're so smart. You're so brilliant. You're such a good or kind-hearted person or child. And then other ones such as the autistic child or oppositional defiant disorder or OCD or sensory disorder or even schizophrenia and some of the more... Um, anxiety and depression and these kinds of labels, there can be benefits to them. But I have learned that there's also a dark side to diagnoses and labels. And I feel like that dark side might outweigh the benefit of having a label. But it depends, I think, on how it works. But definitely I've noticed when a label or a diagnosis is given, it definitely shapes the way people treat us see us and how we see us and treat us and our children. Now, I am not on here to be anti-label, anti-diagnoses, because I think that there are a few reasons why they can be helpful, but I do believe that it is still something that you will need to fight against once it is given, and I'll explain. So what are some of the benefits then of having a label and a diagnosis? And in the medical field, Staying on the same page is important. It's something that needs to happen because in the medical field, things are very segmented and take a very reductionist approach when it's, I only do cardiovascular, I only do hearing, I only do eyes, I only do, you know, the feet or the stomach and digestion. And so you end up going from department to department to department to try to get help for your child and it just feels like your whole child is segmented up and spread across the whole hospital to many professionals trying to figure out what's going on. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to specialize and trying to help, but it's definitely not a holistic approach to helping our kids that are whole systems and whole people, which is a problem, right? But that's not what I'm here to talk about. So... I digress. For now, labels, the reason that they have kind of come about is we, we need to know as medical professionals how we are going to, you know, when I see a patient that you're dealing with, what is going on with them, right? And instead of explaining the whole slew of symptoms, you can just say this child has autistic tendencies or they have severe autism spectrum disorder. And because you have the DSM, right, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Health, and obviously this happens not just out of mental health, 
um, but with physical disorders as well, but I'm only talking about that for this example, that they can know what each other's talking about. You turn to that diagnostic manual, there's a whole list of like, these are the things that you have to have and the criteria you have to have in order to qualify. So not only do you know the severity of the issue, but you know the characteristics of the issue. And this can be incredibly helpful for doctors that are trying to work together to help your child. Okay. And that you can go from hospital to hospital. And again, like this specific book is only for, I think America and a couple of other, I think some other countries might use it. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I know that there's something similar, but it's different, a different book in the United Kingdom and those countries over there. And so, but doctors around the world are trying to do this. We need to have some sort of a language, um, some sort of labels so that we can know what we're dealing with when we get a new patient and they go from clinic to clinic. So in that way, that can be useful to kind of help them. And it can help those of us on the outside understand what we're talking about when we interact with other parents and other kids and your teachers and the therapists. When it's like, okay, we're dealing with autism. It helps us know where to go and who to talk to that has an inkling or an idea of what our child's going through and what they need and what they might be struggling with. So in that way, it can help us get a little bit more on the same page, right? However, the issue is that no two autistic kids are exactly the like, right? They're not exactly alike. And so the dark side of that is that their specific issues and the healthcare they need to be tailored to them does not get tailored because it's treated more generally due to the general label, right? It's, I've noticed it's easy when I walk into a, a clinic or an office and, and my daughter are there and we're waiting in the room for the doctor to come. The doctor comes in, you know, after, after we see their assistant and all those things and they take the vitals and they kind of check them out and then they sit back and then they talk to me and tell me about what the research says and what we should do. And, you know, we need to go get, you know, the therapies and things like that or whatever medications we might want to consider taking and what the, what the evidence says. But something that I have noticed is that they're not always up first of all, on the latest research, right? And there's probably all sorts of reasons for that, but they're not up on the latest research. So they're, they're, they're treating my child from not being up to date on the research because that shifts and changes, right? Especially if your child has a disorder, for example, a genetic disorder. I mean, that industry is progressing very quickly. And so if your doctor or medical professional is not up to date on all of that research, that can be a problem, but they just kind of get this. Okay. If your child has this, this is what we've kind of typically done for them for the past, you know, so long. And so that's what we're going to do for your child. And they don't take the time to sit down and actually look at why your child's case is different than all the other cases and why their circumstances are different and what makes them unique and how do we need to tailor it to them and how can we incorporate it to all the other aspects of their care could oftentimes when you have a diagnosis, it's not just one thing. It's several things that you're trying to address, several different things across the board that don't all have just one issue, right? Speech as well as hearing or eyesight as well as physical issues. Like it's usually not just one thing. And so as many doctors as your child has, you end up getting that many different things you need to do for your child. And so 
And so for the doctors, having that label is great to create some sort of unity. But at the same time, they skip over the uniqueness that your child needs to actually make the help they're getting work. At least that has been what I have noticed. So another reason why labels and diagnoses are important is because doctors cannot get paid by insurance companies unless they meet the criteria that the insurance companies lines out for them. I know, for example, in the mental health industry, as a therapist, that if you do not have a label, meaning an official diagnosis for someone, you cannot get paid for servicing them. As a therapist, in order for me to get paid, I need to officially diagnose them so that I can send something like that off to the insurance company and say, hey, I've got someone that has autism spectrum disorder. We would like to get services for them. Um, And then you turn that in and they look at it. They see the diagnosis. They see the clinical notes that you've taken. They see that they qualify to have that diagnosis and then you can get paid and then they can also get services. Now, in some instances, this is a good thing because they just need the services or they want the medication or whatever it is. So in this case, if it's going to help them get the help that they need, this can be a good thing. But if they don't, and you're kind of just wanting to figure out what's going on without having an official diagnosis, that makes it very difficult because the medical professionals can't get paid unless they find a problem that the insurance company deems worthy of paying out for. And each insurance company has it a bit bit different. So for an example, I have an appointment coming up with um, my daughter's geneticist and It's going to be a teleconference and they're mainly going to be talking to me about the results of her genetic test. However, my daughter needs to be present for the appointment. And when I asked them why, they said for billing purposes. And so for me, that communicates that's probably a stipulation that the insurance company is making. Now, not every insurance is the same. Not all of them have the same requirements, but it is common that they do want or need official diagnosis. They need the patients to be there at the appointments, or they have other things that the doctors are required to carry out in order to get paid, which can interfere with the quality of care that our children get. Now, I went into a little bit of the dark side of labels and diagnoses, and just as a disclaimer, I am not all knowing in this area. A lot of this is coming from my personal experience or the personal experience of friends and family that I know, as well as my training in my master's degree. Even though I'm not doing it now, this was something that was clearly communicated to me as something I would need to be aware of in order to get paid as a therapist. And so I know that there are likely many other things out there I don't know about it, but this much I do know. I can kind of sum it up for you in one word, which would be limiting or limitations. A diagnosis or a label limits how your child is seen by the world, by your friends, by your family, and even by you. And it places your child in a box. This one is smart. This one is funny. This is a troublemaker. This child's dyslexic, autistic, impaired. Labels change how people think about you, what they ask you about, how they treat you and your kids. It 
It changes the opportunities that your child is offered. I had mentioned how it affects my experience and the experience of my daughter in the doctor's office. However well-meaning the doctors are, many of them first look at her clinical notes, first look at her diagnosis before they even meet her. And so they miss out on seeing what is unique about her and her situation, which means we don't get the catered care that we need in order for her to make progress. And I see this happen across the board with with teachers and therapists and other medical professionals. They even assume to know the extent to which my child can develop because they have that genetic disorder, that brain injury, that mental illness, that syndrome. But the truth is, is that like, we don't know. We keep having new research come out that's like, we didn't know this about this disability before. We didn't know this and this. And we're seeing some kids that are developing past it. And and this is becoming more and more prominent to me as I'm coming through this program that I'm doing story after story of clients that have gone through this program we're going through now that were Down syndrome and are now functioning independently, owning their own business and are a full-fledged adult, independent, on their own, not something that you would expect from someone with Down syndrome, but those things are happening in spite of the diagnosis and the label. So it makes you wonder, how much are we limiting these kids by the labels that we put on them, which limits the opportunities we give them? How much could they excel if we found ways, albeit non-traditional ways, to help them excel and exceed, could they do it, right? And these labels can also really limit the thinking of us as their parents, not just for them, but for us, as far as like, because I have them and because they will never grow out of this mentality and grow out of this, I will always be taking care of them forever, which means this is what my life will look like for the rest of my life and that there's nothing I can do about it. It limits the potential that we see for our own lives, that perhaps, you know, what if we're wrong about that? What if we're wrong and you actually can create a life that you enjoy and have your child with special needs and perhaps even help them grow and develop beyond their disabilities, right? It's happened before, so it could happen again. Labels also inform expectations of ourself and our society, how we treat each other. And it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I really want to hit on this self-fulfilling prophecy point because it is something that we see happening in science, even with something called the placebo effect, which is in a study, they separate into two groups and one group, they give the actual medication and the pill and the other one, they give a placebo pill, which is just a sugar pill. And what they see is that effects of healing take place in both groups. So this self-fulfilling prophecy of I took that medication, I feel better, I must be doing better, even though what they took was the placebo pill, and yet they actually start feeling better and actually start doing better, right? And it is, it's effect of their thinking, that they're thinking, I feel better, I'm doing better, I took that medication. And They fulfill that prophecy, even though in the first place, the medication was never really there. So 
how is how can that when that can work in our favor and that can work against our favor just depending on what we believe the limits of our potential and the potential of our children are. Like when a parent tells a child's aunts and uncles how sweet and how smart that child is, the aunts and uncles tend to approach that child with a more welcoming tone, facial expressions, and gestures, right? And when a child is framed as a troublemaker, they are often approached with a little more suspicion, a little more caution, and all of their behaviors are interpreted more towards the lens of being a troublemaker instead of perhaps they're genuinely curious, perhaps they just made a mistake, right? Those aren't the initial thoughts that we go to because we as the parent have primed the aunts and uncles, right? To, to view our child in a specific way. I'm not saying that you do this. I'm saying I've seen this be done before. And I've seen this happen with me and my children, which has made me a lot more conscious of how I talk about them. So this also can happen with our children, what we tell our children about who they are. So for example, if the child believes that they are not good at math, they might give up trying to solve that math problem before having ever really applied themselves to figure it out. Or maybe they believe that they are good at math. And so they put in time and effort to figure out how to do the math. And then they actually really do get good at the math. And the same thing happens with our children and sometimes at our own hands. So what are we teaching our children about about their disability, about what that disability means about them. I'm talking about a child that can comprehend what you're teaching them, right? You're going to be dealing with a different set of struggles if your child isn't at the place where they can comprehend what you're, what you're saying, right? But I still believe those children can sense what you think and how you feel about them by how you treat them, right? Not just how you speak to them, but how you treat them. Now, I do want to give another disclaimer that limitations do legitimately exist, right? People do struggle, right? If you don't have a right hand, basketball may not be the sport for you. Then again, we have prosthetic hands. We have all sorts of different things. I knew growing up in high school, there was a girl who I think she, she was born with it, but without, sorry, she was born without one of her legs um, at the knee. And she ended up having a prosthetic leg. And at that time, it was something very, very simple. Um, and she would strap it to her leg. And she was one of the most athletic girls in our school. Played basketball, played volleyball, um, and several other sports. And I was so impressed by that. And just because of how she carried herself, she was very confident, but because of how she carried herself, I didn't even ever question whether or not she could do it because you could see that she knew she could do it. I wasn't even really friends with this girl. I didn't even really know her. I saw her in passing. She was, I think she was in my grade and I never even thought twice about her ability at all. And now I think that if I've seen her on Facebook, I think that she is married and has kids and is just living life. And she still has, you know, half of her leg missing. Although people do have legitimate struggles, what I'm hitting on here is, do we actually know 
absolutely know the limits of our children? Do we know our limits? And I don't mean like on a daily basis, okay, I've reached my max. I need to take a rest. I need to rejuvenate kind of a thing, but, but limits like my life will always be like this because I can never progress past this point. Or I will always struggle with my life and not like my life because of the circumstances that I'm in. Do you actually know it to be an absolute truth that those with severe limitations will never improve? Do we know the absolute permanence of those limitations? Do we or the doctors absolutely know that our child or our children will be like this for the rest of their lives? That there's no possibility for improvements, for progress, or even complete healing. Heart science has been wrong before. They can be wrong again, especially when it comes to the potential of human beings. Now, I'm not trying to say this to instill false hope with false action, but there's a lot of power in holding space for possibility and curiosity. New things are discovered often that can help our children, that can help us. So then the question is, how are you going to think about your life? How are you going to think about you in the circumstances you're in? How are you going to think about your child? How are you going to decide to to feel about that? And then how are you going to show up and behave in order to find treatments for your child? And if it comes down to, I feel like my child has actually reached their max of their potential and where they're at, or even still they're happy where they're at and we're happy where they're at, then that's great. But let that be a choice and not something you feel you have no choice about. All right, that's what I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening in. I'll see you next week. Take care. Take care.